will regulated militia be necessary to the security of a free state? The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad that you've joined us on the program today. Hope that you had a very Merry Christmas. Getting ready to celebrate a uh, Happy New Year as well. Lord, 2021 has got to be better than 2020, right? Right? I know I shouldn't jinx it. Um, Now, tell you what we've got coming up early in the new year. We've got an election. Actually, we've got two of them down in Georgia. And these elections will control the U.S. Senate. Uh, or at least we'll determine who will control the U.S. Senate. If Democrats are able to win both of the U.S. Senate seats up for grabs next Tuesday, then there will be a 50-50 split in the Senate, 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans, and uh, that would make the vice president, who also serves as the president of the Senate, the tie-breaking vote on uh, any piece of legislation, any potential rule change, anything like that. If, on the other hand, Republicans can hang on to one or both of these seats in Georgia, then the Senate will be a firewall. Uh, And the chances of Joe Biden being able to pass any gun control legislation, they don't shrink down to nothing. You know, you've still got senators like Pat Toomey, who uh, would, I'm sure, would be more than happy to go along with a background check bill or something of that nature. Uh, But the the odds of uh, Second Amendment activists being able to block let's say, Joe Biden's gun ban uh, and his compensated confiscation plan. Those odds would increase dramatically if Republicans take control or keep control, rather, of the U.S. Senate. So how important is the Second Amendment in the Georgia Senate race? Tim Knight, a uh, longtime Second Amendment activist, joins us on the program today to talk about his experience on the ground as part of the grassroots effort underway in Georgia right now to get out the gun vote in the upcoming special elections. Take a look and a listen. Hey, Tim, thank you so much, sir, for coming on the program. It's good talking with you today. Pleasure, Cam, as always. Uh, you have been on the ground in the great state of Georgia. Uh, we are just about a week away from Election Day. Control of the U.S. Senate uh, hinges on these special elections. And, and tell me, first of all, if you can, a little bit about uh, your grassroots activities and some of the other uh, folks within the Second Amendment community who have also uh, been on the ground trying to get out the gun vote. Sure. Um, I, it kind of, my grassroots activities kind of trace back to the 2013 recall elections where I learned what grassroots politics was, which was most effectively knocking on doors and encouraging others to do so. Uh, that is what I've done since then, and I've been in about uh, 17 states now doing that. Um, I encourage people from just the regular, hey, I'm just a gun owner, I can't make a difference. Oh, yes, you can. Let's knock on doors. To, to influencers in the Second Amendment community, like Diana Mueller was down in Georgia this last week from the D.C. Project, and she uh, had another lady with her, and they knocked on doors, and they had never done that before. And that was great because she's going to show tons of other people that, although, yes, it can be awkward, it's totally doable, and it makes a massive difference. Uh, Rob Pincus came down and knocked on some doors with me, drove up from Florida, and I, I live in Tennessee, I drove down to Georgia and Savannah, and three weeks ago we knocked on doors in the Savannah area, and it was a first time for Rob as well, and the fellow he brought with him, and um, it was eye-opening to them, because they realized that it, it put the human back in politics, as opposed to you know, the social media, which is all important, and the television and radio. 
and they they learn. So at the moment, I'm trying to get anyone to knock on doors, but if I can get a social media influencer or somebody like that to come and see that we can have a more impact or different impact and more personal if we knock on doors. So I, ever since 2013, that's, I make time to go do that. Yeah, yeah, listen, and it does have an impact. Um, I, I think this was one of the keys, actually, you know, nationwide in the elections. Democrats did not invest a lot of time, uh, really, did not invest any effort uh, in doing door knocks there. You know, for, for, for most of the campaign season, and this wasn't just Biden, but this was congressional candidates as well, uh, the Democrats' MO was, you know, don't, don't come in contact with anybody. Uh, let's just flood the airwaves. Uh, we'll have, you know, massive ad buys on radio, television, social media. We'll do a lot of robocalls. We'll have mailers. But as you say, I mean, it, it seems to me like when you aren't, you know, door knocking, I mean, that's the most basic of retail politics, but that is where you get to have an actual conversation. It's not just a candidate or a surrogate trying to preach to a voter. There, there, there's there's give and take, there's back and forth. And, and I think those types of interactions tend to stick with voters a little bit more than when they just pick up the phone and they hear a robocall. No, that's absolutely true. All those things can be effective for sure, including lit drops and things like that. But taking the time to do that is, I believe, the most effective because you may only get, I don't know, pick a neighborhood and you might only get 30, 40% of the people that you're lucky. But the, the ones that you do talk to, they share that story. They share that conversation with other people. They'll say, hey, you know what happened today? This, that's a thing. And especially since, uh, you know, the great lock-in started in March of 2020, um, it, the human has been, since we're social critters, a social interaction, especially at your home, uh, from someone tends to be something different, of course, than you would have before. And it has, um, it, it has drastically, I think, um, made it more important. Now, Diana Mueller and her, she did some, she did some posts on Instagram and, and other places and she made a video. And in that, she, she took a good 10 feet step back from the door so people felt comfortable opening the door. This is a good idea when you door knock anyways, just to not crowd the door. But mm-hmm. that 10 feet still allows for a personal interaction. It still allows for eye contact. You're a real person. You came here, uh, in my case, Diana's case, in Rob's case, we were all volunteers. But you can have a professional canvasser knocking on the door. And and even then, it is, wow, this person took the time. You may not want them there. That could, of course, be part of it. But the, but if you do engage and you do talk, that's the part that we all, as so being social critters, we haven't had a lot of since March uh, of 2020. And, Kim, I'll tell you, I felt more enthused and fired up and had more great conversations with voters, um, gun owners specifically, or people who just cared about the Constitution or a neat mother and daughter who are first-time gun owners. I, I had those conversations, and I always do. One time I, met a, I talked to a Marine from the Chosen Reservoir uh, oh, campaign wow. in, in Korea. So um, the door knocking is always a, a, an interesting time, but this time people do seem more engaged and want to have conversations. All right. Now, listen, I realize you didn't knock on every door in the state of Georgia, but I'm still going to ask for your impressions based on your activities there. A, um, you know, are, are, are gun owners aware of the stakes uh, and, you know, are they energized? Are they planning on voting? What is what was your sense of, you know, where things stand right now when you were uh, knocking on those doors in Georgia? Gun owners 
are aware of the stakes. They are. They've been getting a lot of messaging from their groups or associations that they belong to through the magazines, whether it be NRA, GOA, or, or pick, a, pick a, you know, proficient gun rights organization. They're making owners aware. I would say the media is trying to downplay the Second Amendment mm. because they know how effective uh, gun owners can be when they are fired up. Now, you're, you're, you're seeing, you know, as, as we know, Raphael Warnock does not mention uh, the Second Amendment pretty much on his website at all. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, and John Ossoff has spent some time trying to, to say he is for the Second Amendment and that he's been a defender of it, which, you know, is kind of not even kind of hard to find. You can't find it. It's just him saying it. Uh, but gun owners are aware of that. I had one gun owner uh, tell me um, that Raphael, in his word, not mine, uh, was kind of unhinged on the Second Amendment. You know, he just didn't really, you know, had a, a, a crazy view of it. I'm like, all right, unhinged, that's your word. Um, it, it, um, people are aware, but it's not in the news, but they're talking about it. We'll say that. It's, it's, this media will just ignore it, saying, because gun owners, inspired up gun owners, Pretty passionate people. I like to see it because I know that they're going to engage and know they're going to vote. And mm -hmm. I'm seeing that now, for sure. More in the rural counties, but it's, the closer I get to the Atlanta metro area, people are still willing to have a conversation, but they're the I didn't know or there's so much coming I didn't know. But I found the people, since I took the time, were willing to listen. And sharing what a flyer I hung on the door about the Supreme Court from Gun Owners of America or the NRA hang tag, which had stuff about um, you know the Senate more specifically, um, those uh, those were very interesting reads for people because they said, well, I hadn't thought about that or I'm so overwhelmed, but, you know, you're right, I should listen to this. That was kind of the, the take as I got closer to Atlanta. Um, all right. Yeah, you know, and it is interesting. I mean, going back to Ossoff and Warnock and, and how they're conducting their own campaigns, they are very, very much trying to portray themselves as as moderate or actually John Ossoff's even going further because he's cut ads where he's talking about how he'll, he'll be a Second Amendment defender. Uh, but you can go on his website and he backs, you know, a, a ban on so-called assault weapons. So I'm, I'm still trying to figure out. And, and you're right. The media has not been interested in covering no. that. I mean, that is a newsworthy story when you've got candidate uh, who's in favor of gun control, who's running campaign ads saying, I'll defend the Second Amendment. Uh, if it were the other way around, flip the script, you know, and if it were a Republican running for Senate and he's uh, on his campaign website talking about how much he he hates gun control laws. And then on the campaign trail, he say, well, you know, but I'll 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 vote for uh, universal background checks. Um, that would be an issue in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and other media outlets would certainly be covering that. They'd be calling him two faced and, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. But you're right. The, the media generally doesn't want to bring this up, I think, frankly, because they know that the more they talk about John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock's support and embrace for gun control, the more it hurts the Democrats in this election. I mean, I think it's just that simple. No, it is. It is that simple. It's 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 a rail they don't want to touch in Georgia because uh, the way the elections tend to work is that all the rural counties report their numbers, and the higher those numbers are, uh, the harder it is to get Atlanta the numbers that they would need to. To turn the election, which means that they're turn out the vote or they're cheat the vote or whatever, whatever the current conspiracy theory might be. But the, the, the better that you can make the non Atlanta metro numbers by getting people fired up about, you know, their, their rights, uh, firearms rights, free speech, the more they get that or the socialism concerns, 
and they show out in the rural areas, the harder it is for those numbers in Atlanta to, to overtake that. Did so, you did you Georgia, run into voters saying, uh, Tim, listen, I you know, I appreciate you knocking on my door. And, yep, I care about the Second Amendment, but I'm, I'm not voting this election. I'm going to sit this one out because I, I don't I don't trust the elections. One. I talked to one person who did that. Now, Just one. everyone would meant we would say I'm I'm not interested. Don't trust the system. Um, a lot of people were very concerned. Almost everyone mentioned the concern over the the voter integrity, uh, the voting integrity. But everyone was like, I'm not going to let politicians who made mistakes in purchasing the wrong things or the wrong equipment. I have to vote. I can't just give this up. I can't walk away. So, yes, the concern was almost universal, but the we're going to vote, we're going to make sure everyone we know votes. I'm going to talk to politics about my neighbors. I didn't know they felt the same way I did. Those conversations are happening because people are so very concerned. They're doing everything they can to get other people out to vote, which is, to me, a new thing because usually neighbors don't, in, in my experience. Unless you know your neighbors are well, you tend not to talk politics, but more people, at least in kind of the rural, rural metro areas, are talking about politics from the people I've interacted with. All right, that's good to know. Now, you mentioned that you uh, you did run across uh, at least a couple of new gun owners. Um, was When you were talking to that mom and daughter, I think you said, well, was the Second Amendment an important issue for them, even though they were new gun owners? Or were they just like, you know, we bought a gun, but, uh, man, you know, my big issue is the economy or coronavirus or healthcare, or whatever. No, it was because the new gun owners, it was a mother and daughter, and they were super excited about their new M&P shield. Uh, and they had gone in and, and I guess, waited months for them to get it. And the, the mother and daughter were more so the daughter. She was more vocal. She was super concerned. She said, because I bought this gun to protect me, but I realize now that I have to protect it. I have to vote. I have to participate. She said, no, I kind of knew about the second amendment. She said, no, I had a great instructor and he for, informed me that, you know, yes, rust and politicians are the two things that you need to worry about with your firearm. And you have to take, you have to take care of it. And she said, I hadn't thought about it that way. I thought it was something that would, protect me. And I realized that it's kind of a two-way relationship here. I have to protect it. I have to engage. Um, I have to be a responsible gun owner and, you know, taking care, taking care, but that it also means I need to vote and accordingly. And she, that wasn't on her radar before. And she was in a class and she was, uh, she said there were about 50% women in the class. And that was an eye-opening thing for almost everyone in the class. So um, I think that I don't think I know that there were a lot of people who were either getting the education for the first time or or new gun owners in that class. And that was a pretty big thing there for sure. And this is the North Metro Atlanta area. Yeah, it was great. That is great to hear. Well, listen, Tim, I, again, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show today. And really, sir, thank you. Uh, thank Diana. Thank Rob. Thank thank you know everybody. I know that the GOA's got uh, their grassroots efforts engaged. NRA Isley's got their grassroots efforts engaged. So to, to anybody and everybody who is, uh, you know, on the ground, making phone calls, reaching out, making those contacts with voters, thank you, uh, because, you know, the impact is not just going to be felt in, in Georgia. Uh, the impact really is going to be felt all across the country if we're able to uh, uh, to stop uh, Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff from getting elected there next week. Absolutely. And, and the fewer... Uh, everyone's got to vote. I talked to a lot of fired up people. I would encourage everyone to vote in person if they can. Uh, you know, the, the mail out ballot sounds great, but what we need to understand is the more people who touch your ballot, the less likely it is to be cast the way you want. Uh, I want everyone to vote. So, uh, talk to your neighbor, talk to your friends, offer rides, get people there. 
But, uh, yes, this election is going to affect not only the United States Senate and the check on Joe Biden, the protection of our Constitution, but could also very much affect the number of justices we have and um, how effective the Supreme Court remains and hopefully less political or not. And that is super concerning for the entire uh, the entire republic. Absolutely. Tim Knight, as always, sir, good talking with you. Thanks so much for everything you do and look forward to talking to you again soon. Appreciate Tim joining us on the program today. Now let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, our recidivist report as well. In fact, we'll start there with a story out of Greeley, Colorado, where uh, two suspects have been arrested in connection with the murder of a uh, Greeley mom, Blair McQueen, killed back on December 18th. And now authorities have charged 25-year-old Marquise Daniels and Mackenzie Prodder, with felony murder both have been booked into custody and both as it turns out already known to law enforcement uh the 27 year old mcqueen was found dead inside her home in the briarwood apartments in Greeley back on december 18th really police had responded to reports of suspicious activity when they found her body prodder's been charged with felony murder aggravated robbery and first degree burglary while daniels has been charged with first degree murder felony murder, aggravated robbery, and first-degree burglary as well. As it turns out, Daniels was out of prison and he was on state parole, while Prodder had been released from federal custody and was still on federal probation at the time of this uh, murder of Blair McQueen. Don't have a lot of information about their uh, previous criminal histories, but again, sure sounds like they should have still been behind bars rather than out on the streets and uh, allegedly involved in this homicide, which left uh, two kids, by the way, without their mom. Blair McQueen, two children, seven-year-old Embry, five-year-old Jackson, losing uh, their mom in such a uh, horrific act the week before Christmas. I, I mean, I can't even imagine. And yeah, there should be some questions raised about what these two individuals were doing uh, out on the streets instead of being behind bars. Now, today's armed citizen story from uh, California, where a woman shot a suspect who forced her way into the woman's home on Christmas Day. This was in uh, Stockton, California. And apparently the man, according to uh, authorities, had been involved in a, uh, a, a ongoing dispute uh, with his neighbor. And that was sort of the backdrop as to, uh, to what led to this uh, uh, incident. The uh, the neighbor, 29-year-old woman, was confronted by the suspect and engaged in an argument. Again, this is a Christmas day. Happened just before 2.45, Friday afternoon. Stockton police said the argument didn't end there, though. The uh, suspect, a 32-year-old man, forced his way into the woman's home and then began assaulting her and her family. That's when the woman grabbed her gun and shot the suspect. Suspect was uh, taken to the hospital for what police described as a non-life-threatening injury. Stockton police say the case has been handed over to the San Joaquin County DA's office. Uh, no further information has been released at this point. Based on everything we know, if, if all of those uh, reports are true, this is about as clear cut a case of self-defense as you can possibly get. Here was somebody who, you know, it sounds like the argument started outside. She left. She's like, whatever, dude, I'm done. Goes back inside the house. He then goes into her house, where he does not have a right to be, begins assaulting her and her family, and that's when he is shot in self-defense. So we'll keep our eyes on this story. Any more information that becomes available, we'll uh, certainly do our best to bring it to you. Uh, finally today, our good deed of the day from the state of New Mexico. And this is actually more than one good deed. You see the headline there, Officer Saves Two Choking Babies 
in 10 months. I, that, that's pretty amazing. Some officers can go an entire career and never run into a situation like that. Officer Mario Herrera with the New Mexico State Police has actually gone through this twice in the previous 12 months. According to uh, News 4 San Antonio, most recent incident uh, occurred earlier this month when uh, Mario Herrera got a uh, call for help, an 11-month-old female. Collar advised that uh, the infant had fallen into a bathtub. Uh, Herrera was one of several officers who responded to the scene. Baby was drifting in and out of consciousness at the time. He said, when I ran inside the house, the baby's eyes were rolling back. She was making some gurgling noises. That's when he took the baby from another officer, started doing back slaps. Uh, and eventually, she started breathing. Uh, at the same time, by the way, the baby's mom is telling officers, I, th- I think I'm going to faint. Uh, said she was diabetic. The uh, officer, Officer Rare, said, I told her to get a candy. I don't need two people to go down right now. So, again, the quick thinking and the quick actions of Officer Herrera uh, helped to save that 11-month-old girl. The other incident was back in February of this year. Uh, it was another 11-month-old child, a baby boy this time. He said, the only thing I could think of uh, when I was there on that call just earlier this month was, was that baby from the last time. In that case, the toddler was choking on a plastic wedding decoration. Officer Herrera stopped the family on the way to the hospital and was able to save the child. Uh, he was able to, uh, you know, remove that obstruction. Baby was able to breathe again. Officer Mario Herrera says, having kids myself, I would just pray that if I'm not there, somebody else is there to help too. Uh, and uh, Officer Herrera apparently now has a new nickname around the office, Baby Saver. It's a pretty good nickname, by the way. I mean, it beats the heck out of a lot of other nicknames I can think of. So uh, in the right place, at the right time, wasn't able to do the right thing, not once, but twice in the past year. Officer Mario Herrera with the New Mexico State Police, we thank you for your very good deeds. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Barry and Arms, Cam and Company. Coming up on tomorrow's program, though, uh, we're going to talk with Dennis Santiago uh, about this, uh, another rule change. We, we, you know, we've talked a lot about the, uh, the ATF and the pistol brace rules, and now those rules have been suspended or rescinded. Still very confusing as to what's going on, but, uh, they, they, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the ATF tries to bring them back. Uh, at some point in the near future. But there's another rule change that is being offered. This one, not bad for gun owners. It's actually, this would be really good for gun owners. And this is not coming from the ATF or DOJ. It's coming from a little-known agency called the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency. And what this rule change would do, if it goes through, uh, and we've got until, by the way, we've got until next Monday, January the 4th, to comment on this. But if this rule change goes through, banks, big banks in particular, could no longer discriminate against disfavored industries like the firearms industry. So you've seen, you know, and you've probably heard our our coverage of Operation Choke Point, where banks were basically bullied by the Obama administration in some cases. In other cases, they willingly chose to do this, but to rescind any and all relationships with companies within the firearms industry whether they're big gun manufacturers, mom-and-pop gun shops, all of a sudden, these businesses lost access to credit. They lost access to their financial services. And it's become a real challenge for a lot of these institutions to be able to find a, a, a bank that will work with them, at least a bank with you know fairly large capital reserves. This would get rid of that issue. This would tell banks, you can't do that. doesn't matter if you don't like the industry. If it's a legal industry, 
You can't discriminate against it. I think that's a very welcome change. I don't know about you, but this would be very good news for the firearms industry. We're going to talk about how you can sound off, how you can make a difference. Again, that's coming up on tomorrow's Bearing Arms Cam and Company. Don't forget, by the way, you can always subscribe to Town Hall Media on YouTube or Bearing Arms Cam and Company on Rumble. We're also available as a podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Whew. And then, of course, we've got BearingArms.com, where we're updating the website throughout the day with the latest Second Amendment news and information. If you have not yet checked out BearingArms.com, I can't imagine why you wouldn't have, but uh, there you go, BearingArms.com. All you need to know about what's going on with your right to keep and bear arms. Have a great rest of your Monday. We'll see you back here tomorrow with another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. But in the meantime, be well, be safe, and be free.